right, here we go. Test, test, test. And test one, two, three. Okay, very good. All right, here we go. All right, well, okay, how do I, am I going to start this? Podcast number. That's right, this is podcast episode number 124. Wow. Yeah, how about that? Yeah. All right. So Maria, Marie or Maria is still doing our interview. Marie, she's Marie. still doing it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So Until I find somebody else. Thanks, Maria. That's right. That's true. That's true. All right. Well, thank you, Marie, for the wonderful introduction. And uh, hey, everybody, uh, welcome back to not only the podcast, but I'm saying welcome back to myself. Welcome I, back to yourself, Sean. Well, thank you. It's good to be back to myself. I kind of so. want to break out in that old song, "Back in the Saddle Again." Yeah. Back in the Saddle Again, Sean. Great to have you. I won't sing that. Okay. Well, but that, you know what? I, I I would like to hear that actually. I yeah, think. but the audience would not. So. <laughs> Well, it is good. I, I'm back from my sabbatical, and and uh, it was a, a wonderful time. Um, and uh, it's good to do this. I have missed doing this with you, Rick. And so great to have you back. I know you had a wonderful time and a, a, just a great time of spiritual renewal and yes. refreshing. And that's what a sabbatical is all about. Amen. But we missed you, and it's great to have you back in the saddle again. I mean, now some folks may be wondering because I know a couple people that actually contacted me. And they said, we had no idea what you were doing. And so we just thought you were sick or had been fired or something. I said, well, I hope I haven't been fired, but I haven't been sick. And, and so if you're wanting to know what a sabbatical is, you can go ahead and look on our, our webpage at roswellgrace.com and look under the blog. And I, and I put a, a description of what we were doing there. So, but it's, it's good to be back. Uh, and Rick, you know, what a great message. And folks, if you haven't listened to Rick's message, we're in this great series uh, how to get a grip, and uh, and this week was on maturity, and so you know I I think that we expect maturity in every part of our life. You know who wants a retirement account that that doesn't mature, doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't advance? Certainly we don't expect it to lose money. Or I was thinking about this: who wants to have a you know we we both have kids, right? And who wants our children to be something around forty years old and yet still only be nineteen inches long? And seven pounds. I mean, uh, we should expect growth, don't you think, Rick? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Everything grows. Uh, in fact, uh, in the world, when something doesn't grow, we we say there's something wrong. Yeah. Uh, it's it's not healthy when things don't grow. Healthy things, whether it's a plant or an animal, or a, a person with a spirit, uh, everything needs to grow in order for it to be healthy. That's right. That's right. So, wow, what a great message and a great subject to talk about. So, um, you know, here, let me throw you a softball question here, but, but I think it needs to be asked. Why do we need to pay attention to the area of our spiritual maturity? I mean, if people are coming to church and watching your messages or listening to this podcast, shouldn't we kind of assume they're maturing? No, not really. Spiritual growth is a decision that hmm. you make. And sure, coming to church and being a part of uh, Bible studies, things like that, all of those can certainly be wonderful tools and opportunities. I think underneath those, Sean, there's, a, there's an issue that some people struggle with when it comes to spiritual growth because it is a discipline. Hmm. And so I think some people see spiritual growth kind of as a is a negative, almost a punishment. It's almost like, okay, you, you know, young man, eat your vegetables. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, I know it's good for me, so if I have to, I'll do it. 
and some people see spiritual growth kind of as that, that okay, if I have to, I will. I know it's good for me, but I really don't want to. If people would understand that spiritual growth can be extremely rewarding, yes, because it's in that in that journey of spiritual growth, this it's it's actually going to lead to true joy. Mm-hmm. It's where you find genuine peace and fulfillment. And what I've discovered more than anything else, it gives you a genuine sense of purpose. Yeah. That as you are growing spiritually, you realize this is what God created me to do. Mm. And along the path of spiritual growth is where you discover all these wonderful gems like true peace, true joy, a, a sense of fulfillment and purpose. If people could catch that vision, Sean, they wouldn't see spiritual growth as a have-to, but a get-to. Yeah, yeah. One of the benefits of the sabbatical was that I had never really contemplated the question of um, what, is, what is the ultimate, uh, um, I guess, um, expression or feeling of, of what maturity is. And so I always thought it was uh, uh, to be happy in the, um, the, the spiritual purposes that, that, that God's made me for. And 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 I was. Uh, it was suggested to me that now, really, what God intends for me to be is not to be happy, even in spiritual things, but to be free, but to be free, free to to be truly motivated towards the things that that are that are the powerful things that God had intended for me for. Um, and so uh, I I think it's kind of interesting that that uh, that. The things that, that you were, we're talking about today are the things that I really thought deeply about over the past 30 days. I'm really glad you brought that point up, freedom. Mm-hmm. In fact, th- this has been resonating with me so that uh, you, you may not even, I don't know if I've told you or not, but huh. this summer we're going to do a series. And the series, we're going to go through the book of Galatians. Oh. But the title I've given to the entire series, one word, freedom. Wow. I want people to discover the freedom that you're talking about and that mm. you uh, really got into and experienced in your sabbatical. Amen. Amen. Yes. All right. So so those spiritual disciplines that uh, enrich our lives, uh, or you talked about several areas, three basic areas in which we ought to mature uh, personally in the local church uh, and publicly, our witness to the world. You know, I'm, I'm kind of surprised you didn't mention other spiritual disciplines like, say, the reading your Bible or prayer, going to church, giving. I mean, aren't those areas of maturity? I would say, Sean, the difference is between two words, where and how. Ah. What I was talking about Sunday from 1 Thessalonians 4 was the, the where. Mm-hmm. Where does spiritual growth uh, expose itself? Where is mm-hmm. it put into practice? And that would be in these three areas. And in my personal life, that's where growth needs to happen. In my church life, in my relationships with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and then in the public, uh, out in the world, in my job, my neighborhood, my school, areas like that. That's the where it Mm. happens. The how has to do with what you just mentioned, the spiritual disciplines. Yeah. All right. All right. So in those spiritual disciplines, they, they inform or enrich the areas which which are necessary, but they are they aren't the, the stages or platforms for maturity. Uh, for maturity, um, that's the way I see them. Um, uh, the common denominator that I, I see is that these platforms um, they're really relationship areas: our relationship with God, 
our relationship with the body of Christ uh, and our witness to the world. Do you think, am I, am I on track there? You are, and you use the key word relational. Christianity, Sean, is personal, but it's not private. Mm. Many people make that mistake. It's, uh-huh. oh yeah, my, my, my faith is very private. No, it's very personal, but it is not private. Yeah. Uh, your, your relationship with God is to spill out and to affect the way you, you treat people at church, the way you treat people in the world. And if, it, if it's so private, that no one ever recognizes your faith in Christ, then something is missing. When you study scripture from the very beginning of Genesis, you, you discover God is a very relational God. Mm. In fact, when we, when we think about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what is that? It's one God, but three persons in perfect relationship with each other. Mm. And really the incarnation when God the Son comes to earth, what what's going on there? God is extending his relationship. He yeah. desires relationship with people. That's why over and over the, the metaphor that he uses with us is he is our father, we are his children. Yes. What's that? It's a family relationship picture. Yeah. And that's why Christianity must be understood as highly relational, uh, not just private, but it's got to spill out into my church family and even into the public. And that relationship really is meant to be conspicuous, isn't it? I mean, I, I can't think of any scripture verse where Jesus says that, uh, okay, now this is just between you and me. <laughs> I mean, we, we do know that that is true. But on the other hand, we, it really is. When, we, when he says, I want you to deny yourself, take up your cross, what could be more conspicuous than, than dying to self? And uh, that, that's powerful. I'm so glad you, what, what did you say again? It's meant, it can be private, but yeah, it's... Yeah, it's personal, but okay. not private. Yes. Personal, not private. Yeah. And well, you just go to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you're the light of the world. Don't hide it under a bushel. <laughs> you know, what do you do? Man, you put it on a stand, yeah. you know, and you, you light up the area around you. That's why Christianity is never intended to be private. Fantastic. So when we when it comes to our relationship with God that is holy, I sometimes I think that I get a little nervous because I picture in my mind a a stern God that is ready to pounce on my first mistake or or act of disobedience. And I think that a lot of us may have that picture of God. I, I know that's not correct. Um, but Jesus, when he talked about God, his father, he told us that we ought to call on God as our father as well. Uh, and But he also says that we should be perfect, like in Matthew 5, 8. Uh, in fact, Peter later recollects in, uh, from uh, Leviticus 11 that, that, that God commands us to be holy, even like God, uh, even as God is holy. So I, I feel like I'm in an almost a losing game. How do we get a proper picture of holiness and our relationship to God as our father? I'm convinced, Sean, that so many people have a totally distorted definition of holy. Mm. They do. They think, oh, to be holy, you have to be weird. You uh-huh. have to be strange. And so when people see in the world, they're going to have a negative reaction simply because they go, well, that guy's weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't mean you go out and you, you know, buy a robe and sandals, grow a beard and talk funny, <laughs> you know, make the word God into three syllables, God, yeah. <laughs> uh, Jesus. No, 
The word holy, if people would understand the word holy, very simply means to be set apart for God's purpose. Mm. And I think about it, and it comes from the Old Testament in the temple that certain articles in the temple, uh, certain tools that were used in the temple, they were not to be used for common use. They were to be used exclusively in the temple ceremonies. Yes. And so when you under, and that they were the holy items, they were set apart for God's purpose. Well, now, so we are to be holy. What does that mean? That God has chosen me, selected me to be set apart for a very important, unique, special purpose. Suddenly, holiness is seen in a positive light, not in a negative light. Right. To be holy means, wow, I get chosen. God looked down and said, hey, you're one of my children. You're special. I have a unique plan and a purpose for your life. Yeah. How could anything be more exciting than for the creator of the universe to select you and to set you apart for a special purpose? You know, you, Rick, you're wearing glasses right now, and, and I know that it's springtime. We're going to be, it's going to be a little more muddy now, and, and as we're working in the yard, uh, but I'm thinking, you know, those glasses would be great to, to scrape off the mud off of my shoes before I go in the house. And, and it could work that way. It could. It could. But that would be a, a holy, oh, there I said that word. It would be, and I'm, I mean, W-H-O-L-L-Y, that would be a, a very inappropriate use of something that's meant and designed for something else. And uh, and as I think about that, that God has created us for for a certain uh, important purpose that reflects who he is. And, and I think about that, um, it gives greater clarity. Well, uh, and when the whole purpose of Jesus coming is to call us, Sean, out of seeing ourselves as scrapers of mud yeah. and to see that we have a higher calling. Amen. Amen. All right. So back to the passage. Paul, and, and you were looking at First, First Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, uh, uh, back to the passage, Paul was led by the Spirit to spend a bit of time discussing how the disciple was to be different in the area of sexuality. I, I think one forgets the con- that, that confusion and perversion about sex and sexuality is not a modern issue. I, I get the feeling that the sexual norms were just as uh, free-for-all, can, can I say that, then as they are today. Am I tracking correctly? Yeah, absolutely. You're very correct. Sexual immorality was epidemic in the Roman world. It, it might even cause some of our secular humanists today to blush, mm-hmm. uh, to see things like uh, incest, um, the abuse of children, uh, just kind of as an accepted norm. Mm. Even in the Roman world, Sean, some with some of the religious cults of the day, sexual immorality was actually a part of the worship, mm-hmm. which is even foreign to our way of thinking in, in our culture today. Uh, nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. Uh, sexual immorality has always been around and will be, according to Scripture, till the day Jesus comes. Yeah, yeah. Why, why are sexual attitudes, thinking, behavior, and identity an important part of our discipleship? I guess I'm saying, why is this such a big deal? There is something unique uh, uh, about sexual immorality. And the Apostle Paul even addresses this in another passage over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We looked at this some weeks back, verse Mm. 18, where he says this, he says, Flee from sexual immorality. 
Now watch what he does. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Isn't that interesting? As Paul looks at all the variety, the different kinds of sin, he puts all of them in one category except one, Hmm. sexual immorality. There is something unique about sexual sin. There's an internal violation of a person's uh, identity, a person's uh, sexuality. Uh, There's just an internal violation, and it's a it's kind of a mystery, mm-hmm. but I must say it is very true because when you see people who have been involved in sexual immorality, it does a unique kind of damage. Mm. It's, it can scar a person's spirit and psyche mm-hmm. for their entire life. Yeah. As, as I've talked to people that were abused sexually as, as children or as teenagers, there is a breakage that happens. And uh, some may say, well, well, that's because it was a violation uh, towards them. And, and I would totally agree with that. But I think that there's also the sense that it, it is very strange how, uh, how I've seen, and it, this is documented, people that are sexual abusers have many times overwhelmingly been sexual abused themselves. Something breaks and, and God is doing something different. Uh, doing different not only in our attitudes but our minds and with our bodies. I find that fascinating. Well, I found people who have that kind of abuse in their life. You know, the question is, well, can they be healed? Um, mm. You know, they they can they can they never get over it. Yeah, they learn to live with it. The 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 ones that are healed. Yeah, you, you learn to live with it, but you never get over it. Mm-hmm. There is there is a breakage. Um, and sometimes, Sean, you cannot fix a broken glass. Yeah. You can glue it together, and, and it's held together, so you can make it. You can make it through life, yeah. but the, uh, the cracks will always be there. It's sad, but yeah. it's part of living in a broken, fallen world. I think it's powerful. I'm thinking of one particular person who you would never guess that that was a part of their life. It, it, it was a very painful part of their life, but now they've turned it into something different, and Whereas Paul said to flee from sexual morality, they've decided to say, but I'm not going to be private about it. I'm going to use it so I can help other people, which is exactly what they've done. Yeah, and that's where genuine healing happens when we use our brokenness to serve other people. Amen. Amen. So let's move on. You, you taught that Scripture commands us to grow in our relationship with our local church assembly. So here's another softball question. So what, what if I'm not a member of a church? Uh, what if I'm not a, an active member of a church? I would say two things. Number one, join. Number two, get active. <laughs> okay. It is, sometimes the simplest answers yeah. are really the absolute truth. Yeah. I, and I, I just thought back this week where Jesus said, you know, I will build my church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What a, I mean, think about it. What a cool privilege that we get to join him in this challenge. Yeah. That he's building his church. I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. Amen. And yeah. when I join and, and get active, that means I am partnering with Jesus Christ himself on doing this, this, this uh, endeavor with eternal consequences for people. 
that we're talking about saved and lost, eternity in hell or eternity in heaven. To be a part of that, why would anybody want to sit on the bench? Yeah. Why would I want to be on the side? Man, I'm saying, put, send me in, coach. <laughs> I want to be a part of this. So, yeah. man, if you're not a part of the church, get a part of the biggest, greatest thing that God is doing in the universe yeah. today. Yeah, yeah. I I think that, uh, and we I love to talk about this this because I think that there's nothing better than knowing that uh, we have been set apart. We are regarded as holy for this particular purpose and to join with God, collaborate with God to help our fellow sinners uh, to, to know that they, they have been, uh, they're loved by God and they, they have been chosen to become a part of his forever family. And what could be better than that? Yeah. And uh, what could be better than spending our lives uh, helping people to find that connection with the Heavenly Father? So, all right. So, um, you know, I, I think that the more uh, I read, for instance, about uh, John 15, John 15, Jesus uh, talks about how we are to love one another. Um, I even think of it as, as like a magnum opus on basic discipleship interaction between ourselves, um, which is to love each other like he loved us. Um, and the more I fall into... I don't know, I almost fall into both a, a deep despair, but also an inextinguishable hope because I think this is something that's so wonderful and ought to happen yet is so hard to do. Um, years back, you gave me a book by Brennan Manning and in it, he quoted this, this woman, this author, Ruth Center, and she said, you wanna know how to motivate others to do love? It isn't by doing more love, so." so you can be their model. It's by coming close to me, letting my love soak into you like water saturating a sponge. You must be my love before you can do my love. Rick, how how does the average disciple know we are doing love right? Oh, so a great question at the end of the day is to say, uh, is my love costing me something? Oh, because genuine love will always cost. It'll always cost you something. Yeah. So I always say, you know, are my acts of love or my deeds of love, are they given to others with no strings attached? In other words, no ulterior motives. Yeah. You know, I do something for you, a, 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 an act of love. In the back of my mind, am I going? You know, one of these days, Sean will return this favor. <laughs> well, that's a string attached. Yeah. So the big challenge, I think, is to love in such a way that there's no strings attached. And, you know, another thing I would say, Sean, that a great question for people to ask, uh, uh, am I really loving people in my church? Ask this question. If you left your church today, how long would it take for people to notice you're gone? Hmm. Now, man, if one week goes by and they go, wow, I didn't get any love from so-and-so. Yeah. Man, I miss seeing so-and-so. That's a good sign. Yeah. But honestly, if six months go by before anybody misses you, maybe that's a red flag. Yeah. Maybe you should say, you know, am I going to get love or am I going to give love? Yeah. No strings attached. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I know that it happens. It happens everywhere. I think I, I know that you said it, and it is true. Grace is one of the most loving churches that I've ever been a part of. But we ain't perfect, and uh, there there are times that people have 
have, they have, they've gotten sick or they went away or they walked away and they didn't get, they didn't get somebody to call on them or something like that. And so we do, we do kind of miss, we do miss from time to time, don't we? Absolutely. Absolutely. But there's the challenge is when we do drop the ball that we say, okay, how can we pick the ball up better next time? Yeah. And there's also that sense of, well, you know, if you were expecting something, you know, what type of test are you trying to give that it really is more selfishly motivated? Uh, so, all right, well, let me, let me move on from that. So the last platform that, uh, that you discuss is in the area of our public life, uh, our witness before the world. I think that some Christians think that they can kind of opt out of evangelism because, you know, they're not full time. I'm using air quotes there. Uh, what do you say to that? Every Christian is full-time. Amen. <laughs> there, there are no part-time Christians. Yeah. Uh, there are none. Every Christian is full-time. Now, here's the irony of this all, and it's such a paradox. Actually, Sean, you know, we're pastors. Non-pastors have more contact with non-Christians than we do. It's true. We spend so much of our time with, with Christians mm-hmm. because we work at a church and a lot of Christians hang out at church and church events and church activities. Uh, listen, it's other, it's the church members that are out there on the front line. Uh, the people they work with in their jobs, they're going to have a lot more contact with non-Christians than we are. So they, in fact, should be the great evangelist. We're not going to be the great evangelist. Our job is equipping Christians and getting them connected in the body of Christ and helping them grow. Why? So they can go out and really do the work of an evangelist in our community. Fantastic. Fantastic. You know, I think that that Paul is so very practical about our behavior. Um, I mean, it's the way that you put it, it's almost kind of boring, you know, (laughs) kind of boring and pedestrian, you know, uh, when when he says that, um, that we should lead a quiet life, uh, mind our own business, work with our own hands. I mean, you're serious. Those are important things. I mean, they, they seem so normal. Okay. Yeah. And if you feel like Paul's boring, I'll let you take it up with Paul someday <laughs> in heaven. He may have he may have a different view. You know, seriously, Sean, you think about it. Lead a quiet life, mind your own business, work with your own hands. These three simple commands would radically change for the better uh, any school, yeah. any workplace, any family, mm-hmm. any neighborhood, any church. Because when you think about those three commands, if you have one person doing the opposite, it, it just ruins everything. Yeah. All it takes is one busybody in an office mm-hmm. just to sour everybody. Nobody wants to come to work because, you know, there's one busybody. There's yeah. one... They won't keep their mouth shut. They gossip about this person. They stab people in the back. Who wants to work like that? Isn't it interesting? These three simple commands could radically change any organization for the better. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So obviously, I hate to bring this up, but I'm going to bring it up because it's so fresh. So on my sabbatical, the one thing that I tried to do was I really emphasized that first one leading a quiet life. And so we, we did go to Hawaii. It was a beautiful place. I wanted to, to go someplace that was uh, uh, visually uh, stimulating and, and beautiful. But it was, I didn't, we didn't do the normal tourist things. We, I did a lot of study, a lot of writing in my journal, and a lot of prayer. And, um, 
I, I try to lead a quiet life. I think one of the, the we, we, we give it a different word now. Uh, some, some writers, they call it the contemplative life. And I think that to lead a quiet life doesn't mean that you don't do nothing. It is that you really do some heavy introspection and study of yourself as well. Yeah, quiet water runs deep. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So verse 12 seems to hang it, you know, so so that your daily life may win the respect of others. You know, when I when I think about this, I recall Paul's letter to the Ephesians uh, when he said, hey, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So the command to be very careful, I read this to be really serious about our maturity process and and with a nod to the seriousness of it all because the days are evil. There, there seems to be a kind of a sense of urgency that Paul has, uh, both in Colossians and Ephesians and in this letter uh, to, this, to the Thessalonians. What's going on here with Paul? Yeah, Paul understood something that we all need to understand. Life is short. He understood time is limited and we, we just fall into the trap, Sean, of thinking that, well, I got plenty of time. Mm. Uh, no, no hurry. But I tell you what, you know, it's, as you get older, you certainly change your perspective on that. You begin to see that, ooh, time is short. Time is limited. And so we need to invest our time in eternal pursuits. Don't wait until you are old to realize, oh, my goodness, I wasted so many years of my life. Yeah. Paul just had this this great insight, this wisdom that um, you're not going to be around forever. I'm mm-hmm. not going to be around forever. So what am I going to do with today? Yeah. What am I going to do with today? Yeah. So listener, if you're out there, you only, uh, you cannot, you, you cannot expect that tomorrow is going to happen. And uh, so, so strike while the iron's hot, do what you need to do right now. You know, someone pointed out to something uh something startling to me, that the purpose of evangelism will one day not be needed. Uh, I mean, were they right? Um, I mean, is that really why it's the most pressing thing that we should do right now? Uh, they are correct. Very clear. Bob, the Bible's clear. When Jesus return, returns, son, everything changes. Everything. The lost and the saved, they're separated for eternity. Mm. And that's why scripture is clear again. It says, now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. So there'll come a day when it's uh, too late. It's too late. Yeah. So uh, it's not too late now. So make a decision for Christ before it's too late. Amen. Amen. If, and by the way, listener, if you maybe you're not a believer in Jesus Christ or you're thinking about, you know, I'm, I'm having some second thoughts about, am I saved? Do, do I have a relationship with Christ? If you go to roselgrace.com, scroll all the way to the bottom and uh, look for Finding Jesus, you will uh, see uh, see how to to initiate or how well actually it's already been initiated how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, Rick, I, I like to think of the the cost of lost opportunity of things to clarify uh, what we need to focus on. So let's fast forward to 2023. What is the cost of lost opportunity if we disregard maturity? in these three relationship platforms? Uh, To me, we need to step back, have perspective, be wise, and realize that that once time passes, it is gone forever. You cannot get it back. Hmm. There is no rewind button on your life. So 
Paul is right. You got to make the most of every opportunity. And an opportunity is when it's right in front of you. Right. If you wait, it no longer becomes an opportunity. It becomes a missed opportunity. Mm, wow. Wise words. Thank you so much, Rick. Great message. All right. Now, audience, I have just looked so forward to asking or saying this next part, which is now it's time for Rick's quote of the week. All right, Rick, what do you got for us today? Today is a quote from uh, chapter four of my book, Living Your Dash, and it's a, a quote from John Gardner. And I love, Gardner. I love this. John Gardner says this, the first and last task of a leader is to keep hope alive. Hmm. The hope that we can finally find our way through to a better world, despite the day's actions, despite our own inertness and shallowness and wavering resolve. I love that. Wow. The first and last task of a leader, keep hope alive. Wow. Wow. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right, Rick, what else is going on here at Grace? We are excited, Sean. This weekend, we have been waiting a long time for our special guest, Hosanna Wong. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know who Hosanna Wong is, just Google her and listen to her spoken word, very yeah. creative, Yes, how she communicates the truth and what's called spoken word. We have two special events. First of all, this Saturday night, uh, which is the 2nd of April, yes. it's hard to believe. I'll say af at night, it's actually afternoon. We're, we're scheduling this at 4 o'clock because we have people coming from all over New Mexico and Texas, and we wanted to be sensitive to their drive home. Yeah. So 4 o'clock Saturday, she will be here at Grace, and then Sunday morning, she will be speaking at both services, the 9 o'clock and then 1045. If you've never heard Hosanna Wong, here is your opportunity yeah. to see her live and in person. I'll make sure I put a link there. So, yeah, what That's else? That's a great idea. And Sunday night, Sean and I are leading Class 101, Discovering Membership. So 5 o'clock Sunday evening, if you want to know more about our vision, our values, our beliefs, where we're going as a church, here's your opportunity. We would love to have you be a part. All right. Rick, thanks so much for your time. 